Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 25. Your prison situation, you're shackled, and like bees, they begin to surround him. He did this, he did that, he did this, he did that, he should die. Wow. Right at him they come. Psalm 118 verse 12 says, They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as the fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Can you imagine Paul? I mean, he walks out and these guys surround him and they begin yelling and making accusations. And while Paul said in his own defense, and I'm thinking that he had to probably say it loud, I've committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, verse 9, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. And I think he looked at the governor with a clean conscience and said, you know what this is. You know why they've come here. You understand that I'm innocent. If then I am a wrongdoer, look at verse 11. And if committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things is true, of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them, I appeal to Caesar. And this was the right of every Roman citizen. If you didn't feel like you were getting justice before an official, think of like a lower court. You're not getting justice. You can appeal to the Supreme Court. And every Roman citizen had the right to appeal to the emperor. And so that's what Paul does. I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to the Supreme Court, to the emperor himself. And you know who the emperor of the time is? Caesar Nero. The guy that used to light Christians on fire in his garden and go in his chariot screaming like a madman. One commentator said he was a little more subdued at this point in his leadership. But Paul makes an appeal because he doesn't think he's going to get justice. And in courtroom language, Festus, verse 12, when he had conferred with his counsel, he answered, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And Paul knew he was going to go to Rome anyway. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus, to the new governor. So here now comes the king and his lady. And Bernice, get this, is the sister of Drusilla. She's known as a ravishing beauty at the time. And they are half brother and sister. The king, this is his half sister. He's in an incestuous relationship with her. He has married her. And by the way, in history we know she cheated on him several times, including with Titus Vespasian, who was the guy who came in with troops and destroyed Jerusalem. And this was in the tabloids everywhere. The next story on the gossip show. Oh, I just can't wait. Woo, woo, tell me, tell me. On the tabloids. It was Agrippa and Bernice, right? The next story. I remember I was sitting waiting for the dentist. 
And they had a daytime show, one of those entertainment tonight kind of show. And the next story is, look how myth, look how fat they are. Look, look at that. Look at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with our world? This is worse than being in the dentist chair. It's bad enough. I have to wait for him to damage my mouth. Just get me into the chair and do your root canal. This is bad. This is what's happening. But oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Nobody's making a judgment, though. And Herod Agrippa has an interesting past. past. His dad killed the apostle James, had Peter thrown in prison, intending to kill him, and gave a speech one day, and God killed him, and he was eaten by worms, Acts chapter 12. Apparently, his dad died when this Agrippa was 17 years old. You think he knew a little bit about Christianity and God? Herod's great uncle, Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist, was involved with the soldiers in mocking Jesus and dressing him in a robe. And Herod's great-grandfather, Herod the Great, attempted to kill Jesus in Bethlehem when he was a little baby, a little child. This is the last of the Agrippas that has a prominent place in the New Testament. And here he comes with all this family history, He's living a totally immoral life. And so here's what happens. He's come to pay respects to the governor on this beachfront headquarters, and while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, 14. He said, hey king, you're here at an interesting time. There's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation upon him. Now Agrippa's listening And I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face, has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. And so after they had assembled here, I made no delay. But on the next day took my seat on the bima, or the tribunal, and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a certain dead man. You think Agrippa's eyebrows are going to begin to rise? A certain dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. I think Agrippa might have taken a big swallow at that point. Who? Who did you say? Yeah, there's a, Paul preaches this guy named Jesus who's dead, but Paul says he's alive. Do you believe he's alive? Do you believe because he lives, you will live also? This is the gospel. This is what Paul preaches. And I'm sure Agrippa was maybe even squirming in his chair a little bit. And being at a loss of how to investigate such matters, 20, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. Some of you may be here and you feel at a bit bit of a loss as to how to investigate Christianity. Can I recommend Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, who described himself as the most, um, he was an atheist, yes, and he did not, he went into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming. He did not want to become a Christian. Or how about uh, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell? Or how about, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, a Chicago Tribune reporter 
an alcoholic, admittedly. His wife becomes a Christian. He sets out on a journey to disprove Christianity and ends up becoming a Christian. If you are at a loss as to how to investigate these claims, there is evidence. The first evidence is in the Scripture. But there's much more than that. Jesus Christ is alive. And he rose in the very history in which we live. This is the message of the church for the last 2,000 years. He's not dead. He's alive. The tomb was empty. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And on that early Sunday morning, what we call Easter Sunday morning, they came to the tomb and he wasn't there because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. It's not just once a year, folks. This is the message of Scripture. And so he says, I was at a loss. I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem, 20, and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. And Festus replies, tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And so on the next day, when Agrippa had come together with Bernice amid great pomp, that word pomp in Greek is fantasia. It means fantasy, showy. And there was probably an outdoor amphitheater right on the beach, and here come all the bigwigs, the king in his royal gown. He's probably got royal rings on. He's probably got his crown on. And there's his so-called queen, ravishing beauty, probably dressed you know, fantastically as a queen. All these people coming in, all these religious leaders coming into the auditorium, verse 23, accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city and the command, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Bring the prisoner in! And who walks out? A man that history tells us was bow-legged, like everywhere he went, he rode a horse, or if you prefer, a Harley. They said he had a unibrow going on. He had little beady eyes, a balding head, a hooked nose, and his eyes probably ran from eye problems. And he had been beat up so much, maybe he even had a cane. He came out kind of like this. And all the pomp and the royalty and everybody's there. And you could hear maybe the people go, that, that, that's Paul? That's the guy that's stirring. Everybody in the world can't wait till this guy's dead. He can barely even walk out here. He's having trouble seeing who he's talking to. But God's strength is perfected in what? Weakness. See, we, we, we judge by the wrong things. We think, how could I ever say something to that person? What if you had a chance to preach to the president? What would your three-point sermon be? You say, I'd have more than three points. <laughs> Sorry. Festus said to King Agrippa, verse 24, and all you gentlemen here present with us, behold the man. <laughs> I wonder how people were looking at him. That, really? There he is. Remember when Pilate brought Jesus out after he had been beaten so badly? He was beaten beyond human recognition and he said, Behold, the man. You're a king? Jesus said, You say rightly that I'm a king. That's right. That's who I am. 
You see, judging things by the outside is where we often get ourselves in trouble. And so Paul had made it his appeal. He says, but this is the man to whom all the people of the Jews appeal to me, both in Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. You can see the parallel between Jesus and Paul as you go through the book of Acts. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. I wonder, who's your Lord? Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. Oh, there were plenty of charges. What they lacked was evidence. There were charges everywhere against this guy, but nothing of substance. By the way, Festus, if I didn't mention it earlier, dies around A.D. 62, just a few years after this. Another man standing before one of the greatest gospel preachers of all time. What did he do with the truth? I don't know. And Agrippa said to Paul, now the king is there, probably in his royal attire, probably sitting on some sort of throne. You're permitted to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand in the way of ancient orators and proceeded to make his apologetic or his defense. He said, in regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today. Paul considered himself fortunate? What? Been in prison all this time? Now he's standing before this big group? Where does this guy get his boldness? He says, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. Here's a practical point application. Sometimes you have to tell, say, people, say to people, whom you want to give the hope of the gospel, please listen to me patiently. Please be patient. Because as soon as you mention Jesus, there's a lot of people who want to dismiss you. Oh, come on. Really? You're going to go there? Yeah, please be patient and hear me out. Sometimes you have to tell people that. Please just hear my story. Hear what I have to say. Please listen to me patiently. Now, is it true that Agrippa was an expert in all customs and questions? Well, it's interesting. Agrippa has this background with his whole family. And Agrippa was influential in Jewry, says one writer, because the emperor Claudius had committed to him both the care of the temple and the appointment of the high priest. Agrippa was very knowledgeable of Judaism and, I would, I would imagine, Christianity. And so he's sitting there and he's responsible for a lot of what goes on in the religious world. So then all Jews know my manner of life. Paul is going to break into his story and we need to be able to tell our story. From my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, verse 5. Since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they are willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews or by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people that God raises the dead? Don't you love Paul's argument here? 
Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, he was addressing not only secular people who may not have believed or believed uh, mythology, but he's also addressing the Sadducees, the hierarchy, who said there was no resurrection and said they believed the first five books, but yet denied the resurrection. And Paul says, why, the final verse for this morning, do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Have you read Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just read a little further. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the dry land and he made the oceans. And he said to the oceans, you can only go that far. Stop. And he made the great sea monsters and the creatures. And he made man in his own image. And you're telling me you don't believe that God can raise people from the dead? Have you read the Bible? How about the next book, Exodus, when the people are under Egyptian bondage, under Pharaoh, the most powerful uh, ruler of the world at that time, and Moses sees a, a bush that's burning and is not consumed. And God says, hey, Moses, you're going. And off he goes. And he confronts the Pharaoh, and ten plagues come on the land of Egypt. And God leads his people out with his mighty power. And God opens the sea before them and his fire keeps the Egyptian army from coming to his people. And he opens the way with the blast, I love the image, the blast of God's nostril. Bam! Don't you love that? If you're a guy, you love that image. You ever seen a baseball player? They have to know they're on camera. And they're at the plate and all of a sudden, they just... Never understood that. But anyway, back to God. Um, The mighty power. And Paul says, why do you people, you sit here and say you believe there's a God. You know, most of the world is not atheists. There's a few atheists around. But even atheists are not real atheists. They already know there's a God anyway. Why do you consider it incredible that God raises people from the dead? Do you believe he's going to raise you? I hope so, because that's our hope. I believe he's going to call my, whatever's left of my DNA, however that all works, and he's going to make me new again. I'm banking on it, because he lives, I will live, and I'll tell you, 2,000 years removed from that event, Jesus Christ is alive and he still saves. That's the gospel. And Paul looks at the king, and you want to, if you wondered what he preached to the king, He didn't comment on his moral life, although he did do that with Felix and Drusilla. He preached the resurrection to the king. He said, why do you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Why do we? Why do we have so many skeptics questioning the resurrection back and forth and up and down? Go to the book of Romans and we're done. Romans chapter 1. The next book to your right. What does the resurrection mean? The resurrection is a declaration. That same apostle Paul writes these words in Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, Romans 1, 2, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is what it's all about. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, he was human, according to the flesh, who was or is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, 
according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the resurrection is a declaration. That is my son. He is the way to life. One writer says, the resurrection is God's amen to Christ's statement. It is finished. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, if Christ be not risen, then we, if you're a Christian this morning, are of all people to be most pitied. And he said, and we, because we preach the message that God's son is alive from the dead. If he's not alive, then we're going to be found liars. But Christ is now risen. He's alive. And he's become the first fruits of all who will follow in his train. For in Adam all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. This is the message of Christianity. This is what we preach. The message has not changed. There is hope. And if we hold back truth from people, we hold back true hope. Father, we come before you. And we, I, I just want to take a moment to ask for forgiveness for the many times that maybe we have bunted when we should have taken a full swing. For the many times we've been on prevent defense rather than being on offense. For the many times that we've lacked boldness when we should have spoken. Now, Father, we realize as a church that there's a way to do this. But we need to do it with the passion and boldness that the Apostle Paul did. And we need your wisdom to be able to speak into this culture. But our message is clear. There's a truth and a hope. And it's all centered in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one is coming to the Father except through him. He lives. And because you live, Jesus said, we will live also. Thank you that you impart life. We just want to take a moment as a congregation to thank you afresh, Lord, for this incredible gift of salvation. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have inherited these incredible riches of your kingdom. And we are your ambassadors. As though you were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. Father, thank you, thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you that all those who are born again are new creations in Christ. The old has passed, the new has come. We know the wages of sin is death, but we thank you for the free gift of God, which is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. With your heart and head bowed, do you know him? Just search your heart. The Bible says that his spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you don't know him, you're here for a reason. He wants to impart hope and life to you. So right now, if it's you, don't wait. It's something like this. I would encourage you to say it out loud. Lord Jesus, Come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I repent of my sin and trust in you. Father, help those who are listening to my voice to 
hear your voice and settle that eternal question. I pray, Father, also for the church. Help us to get our eyes refixed on you and the fire lit again if it's been fading. Father, I also pray that you'd minister your healing hand to every person who's hurting today. Whether it's a physical ailment or an emotional hurt or a tough situation, I pray that you would stand by their side and that they would sense your presence even now that they'll make it through this with your help. So Father, just wash over this congregation with your sweet presence. We are so grateful and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Forgiveness of sins and know that there's an inheritance far beyond this life. And of course, you know, when people hear this, there's different reactions. And, and Festus in Acts 26:24 said, Paul, your, your great learning has, has caused you to go insane. You're mad. You're crazy. It's driving you mad. But Paul said in a classic response, and this is for every student of the Bible to note, Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I, but I utter words of sober truth. What I am saying is true. It's sober truth. You see, this is not about some fanciful story. If the Apostle Paul thought that this was some fanciful story that was just made up, folks, he wouldn't have been putting on his, his life on the line throughout the whole book of Acts. You see, he saw the risen Christ. The risen Christ commissioned him, and that's why he did what he did. And he said, look, I'm not insane. No, I speak the words of sober truth. My friend, maybe you've been listening for a while to Christian radio. Maybe you're a a secret (laughs) listener to Christian radio. You don't tell your friends, you don't tell your family, but you know these words are true. And the reason you know is because they're resonating with your soul because God's word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. These are the words of sober truth. These are the words of life. Will you believe? Why do you think it's incredible that God raises the dead? If you believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then it shouldn't be hard to believe that he raised the dead, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in the very history in which we live, and that Jesus is coming again. You see, Paul's whole life was about that. And truth, you could say truth was on trial here, and truth has been on trial even in our own generation. People don't even know anymore whether there is such a thing as truth. But Jesus is the truth, and he's alive, and he still saves. And Paul said, look, I've been called to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, who's a liar, to God. God is truth. Satan is a liar. Will you believe? Paul says, look, this is not insanity. This is reality. These are the words of sober truth. Will you believe them? If you believe, if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, he'll he'll reveal himself to you, He'll cause you to be born again of a living hope. You'll become a person who knows the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. 